Hi, welcome to Bookie. To unlock more world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features. Hi, welcome to Bookie. Today we'll unlock the book Crucial Confrontations, Tools for Resolving Broken Promises, Violated Expectations, and Bad Behavior. In our daily life, we encounter undisciplined employees, bosses, that break their commitments, kids that lie about coming home late, or strangers that cut in line. When you want to confront them face-to-face, and ask them to shoulder their responsibility, that's when a crucial confrontation takes place. In case of a crucial confrontation, most people resort to one of two options. One option is silence. The ones who choose silence see an immediate result as acceptable, and believe that the conflict would escalate if they confront it. However, the damage of silence lies in that the other person can take your silence as passive permission of the action, and that can undermine the principle of fairness in social norms. As the extreme opposite of silence, the other option is violence. Violence is often the final product of repeated silence, because those involved just can't bear it anymore. Handling a situation with violence always shifts the focus from problem-solving to accusing the other of having an ill temperament. Also, either side could become even more unhappy with the other, which could create an infinite vicious circle. Undoubtedly, these two options not only fail to solve the conflicts, but also risk making the situation worse. So how can we deal with crucial confrontations effectively, and strengthen relationships while we making others take responsibility? Crucial confrontations will give us the answer. The book is co-authored by Kerry Patterson, Joseph Granny, Ron McMillan, Al Switzler, and David Maxfield. Kerry Patterson did his doctoral work in organizational behavior at Stanford University. He received the 2004 William G. Dyer Distinguished Alumni Award from Brigham Young University's Marriott School of Management. David Maxfield has his doctoral degree in psychology from Stanford University. He is also an outstanding researcher and speaker. Joseph Grenny, Ron McMillan, and Al Switzler are all senior corporate consultants, the latter two of whom have provided services to dozens of Fortune 500 companies. The solutions provided by this book have been used by over 300 members of Fortune 500 companies. Before its publication, the authors did 30 years of research in various industries, and concluded a methodology for dealing with crucial confrontations and achieving interpersonal harmony. Next, we'll unlock the book in the following three sections. Part 1, What to Do Before a Crucial Confrontation Part 2, What to Do During a Crucial Confrontation Part 3, What to Do After a Crucial Confrontation Now let's look at the first part, What to Do Before a Crucial Confrontation About the significance of preparation, it is said that Einstein once said, I would spend 55 minutes defining the problem, and then 5 minutes solving it. Unfortunately, most people simply ignore the preparation phase and practical applications. Then what should one do before a crucial confrontation? The authors offer a set of solutions. First, define your goals. Second, understand what really happened. And third, tell a more complete and accurate story. Let's talk about goal defining first. You may wonder why do we have to define goals? Aren't they just what you want to achieve? That's right, goals are expectations, 
but other problems lie beneath failed expectations. That's when we need to find the real problem, the core problem. Consider as an example that you are a parent, you've made a deal with your kid, that he has to play the piano from 5 to 6 every afternoon. One day, however, you find that he did not do it, but insists that he did. Obviously, the problem now is not that your kid failed to complete his task, but instead that he lied. The core problem that needs to be dealt with first is lying. As to how to identify a core problem, the authors suggest a method called CPR, through which we'll be able to find the essence and core of the problem. The first time a problem comes up, we need to talk about C, the content, which means what just happened. If the problem occurs again, then it's not an occasional problem. And we need to talk about P, the pattern. If it continues to exist, then talk about R, relationship, how the problem will affect the relationship between the two sides. Such a model of thinking reminds us that when the same problem reoccurs, we shouldn't focus only on its content. Let's take the following example. A boss is annoyed by a chronically late employee, but doesn't know how to deal with him because he is a friend. According to the CPR model, when the employee comes in late the first time, the only problem is his lateness. So, that time, the boss should only talk about the fact that he is late that day. The next time he's late again, two issues occur, lateness and breaking his promise. Obviously, the core problem is now breaking the promise, so it's necessary to talk pattern with him. It's the second time you're late. You made your promise that you wouldn't be late again, and now I have to see you as someone who can't keep his promise. This sort of speech will undoubtedly make the employee realize how serious the problem is. If he keeps coming late, then the boss should consider how it might damage their relationship and tell him, I'm afraid I can't trust you anymore. This event might undermine our cooperative relationship. This is an example of how the CPR model can be applied to tricky problems in our daily lives. To better understand each element in the CPR model, we always need to think about our goals and possible results before a crucial confrontation. Why did the other person do it? What effect will it have on our relationship and any other person that's concerned? When facing a crucial confrontation, we often don't know whether we should speak up. That's when we measure the risk of speaking up against keeping silent. For instance, when we find our conscience nagging us, that's when we should speak up. But if we speak up only to tell the same old story, then it's better to remain silent. Now we've finished talking about defining goals, let's move on to the second point understanding what happened. The authors point out that they used to call the first 30 seconds of a crucial confrontation the hazardous half-minute. During this crucial 30 seconds, we'll create a subjective judgment because of the confrontational atmosphere. In psychology, such a judgment is referred to as the fundamental attribution error. A fundamental attribution error occurs when people take others' actions as resulting from their intrinsic qualities, like personalities or attitudes, and neglect the importance of the overall context. Especially when we are in a disadvantaged position, we are more likely to regard others' abnormal actions as driven by their nature, and ignore the contextual factors completely. For instance, when we see a father scolding his kid, we tend to believe that he is an ill-tempered father, but what we don't see is that the kid stole something. We tend to believe in what we see, but the authors point out that after we see and hear the other person, 
we automatically tell a story in our heads by analyzing their motives based on our theories. But such a story is often more or less subjective, so we become angry and take wrong actions. This story creates bias when it comes to analyzing the problem. So it's critical to abandon subjective judgment, and understand the truth from an objective point of view before a crucial confrontation. After understanding what happened, we then need to analyze why the other person did what they did, which is the most easily neglected factor in a crucial confrontation. This brings us to the third point, telling a more complete and accurate story. A more complete and accurate story is the prior condition for practical solutions of confrontations. Before a crucial confrontation, we need to analyze it from two general aspects, the situational and the dispositional. These two aspects cover both contextual factors and personal characteristics. For easier application of the analysis, the authors identify six sources of influence, individual motives, individual ability, social motives, social ability, organizational motives, and organizational ability. Let's first talk about individual motives and ability. The previously mentioned fundamental attribution error results from considering individual motives only. For example, some people enjoy helping others, and whereas others take pleasure from torturing others. Both of these are individual motives. As for individual ability, it's not difficult to understand that this component refers to whether the person has the ability to solve problems. For instance, you ask an employee to fix a bug in a software system, but if he is not a software engineer and knows nothing about programming, then he won't be able to complete the task no matter how hard he tries. Then there are social motives and social ability. None of us lives or works in a vacuum, so we are inevitably influenced by others, such as our parents, friends, and co-workers. For instance, let's say you want to run a test, but your co-worker thinks it would slow down progress. After some struggle, you ultimately decide to drop the test. This is due to the influence of a social motive. And what social ability? Take the same instance. To run your test, you'll need the support staff to provide tools and materials as well as your co-worker's assistance. That is to say, others may help or hinder your actions. And at last we have organizational motives and organizational ability. These two seem rather abstract at first glance, so let's look at some more examples. Bonuses are used by employers to motivate employees. In this case, getting a bonus is a type of structured motivation. Another example is the sale of drugs by some at-risk youth. On one hand, they are being incited to sell drugs. And on the other hand, it can help them quickly make money. Here, the financial gains are a type of external motivation, and also belongs to the category of organizational motives. Society needs to help those young men find jobs to eliminate youth drug dealing. When considering organizational ability, imagine you are a manager at a service center for youth employment, and two departments under your supervision don't cooperate well. It would be frustrating talking to the personnel of each department. So you come up with this idea, move the two departments into the same working space, and give them more opportunities to communicate. That concludes the first part of this bookie. What to do before a crucial confrontation. Before a crucial confrontation, we should at first define our goals, that is to say, our expectations. Then we should use the CPR model to decide what the real problem is, 
and whether we should speak up, with consideration of why the other person did it, and what the result would be. Also, it's critical to abandon subjectivity and understand the truth from an objective point of view. We should try to tell a more complete and accurate story with considerations of six sources of influence, including individual motives, individual ability, social motives, social ability, organizational motives, and organizational ability. Today we are just sharing limited bookie. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features.